Would you describe yourself as a persistent person? You know, you get an idea in your mind and you go for it, no matter the difficulty or whatever's going on. My dad, a few years ago, he was working as a laborer, as a part of a contractor, like a building houses and such, and he was a laborer. And he met this other guy who was working for the company, and his name was Levi. And lo and behold, they start talking, and he realizes that Levi is also um, a follower of Jesus. And the cool thing, the extra cool thing about it is, Levi was also saying he's from, like his family, they all grew up in northern Quebec. And they're, you know, francophone all the way through and through. And so if you don't know anything about, about maybe religion or faith, um, in Canada, to find an evangelical or Protestant in the province of Quebec, I think it's like under 1%. And so, I don't know about you, but my next question is, what's your story? How did you come to faith? And so, my dad asks Levi this question. Levi, how did you come to faith? And Levi says, he tells this story. He says, about 100 years ago, his family, they came from this little town or village um, in northern Quebec called, I don't know how to... I've got some French people here. I feel really bad at how to pronounce this. Girardville? I don't know. It's up here. It's up in the north. It's a little place. And Levi's family comes from that place. And Levi's great, great uncle was, he was the storekeeper in this town. His name was Pierre. And Pierre, at this time, the, the, that area was opening up. People were moving there. And they're going to build a Catholic church. And so Pierre, he, he gave a lot of money to the church and to the priest, hoping that that would influence the decision to build the Catholic church next to his store, like on his side of the municipality, <laughs> right? Well, short answer is, when they decided where to build the church, they decided to build it on the other side. And Pierre was irate. He was mad. And so the story goes is that him and some buddies, they were drinking that night, and he decided he was going to teach that priest a lesson. And so you know what he did? He put an ad in the Toronto Star requesting a Protestant missionary to come to their little village. And I don't know if you know anything about um, history in Quebec, but especially 100 years ago, Quebec was Catholic. And what a diss it would be to invite a Protestant from Ontario, an Englishman, to come and to come with their form of the gospel. And so he sends off this ad and, you know, doesn't think about it. There's no response. Time goes by, I'm sure Pierre kind of cools off a bit, kind of probably even forgets about the ad. But lo and behold, a man in Ontario, John Spearman was his name, was reading the Toronto Star, and he finds this ad to come, requesting a missionary to come to this town in Quebec. And he feels, not knowing the backstory, he feels that God is calling him to this place. And so he prepares to go. Now the problem is, Pierre, uh, John doesn't know any French at all, and so he has to do like a crash course in French, right? A couple of months worth just to try to be able to communicate at all. And so six months later, John Spearman arrives at whose general store? Pierre's. And he says, I'm here. I'm the one you sent for. <laughs> and Pierre, by this point, if he'd even remembered what he did, he'd be like, uh-oh. And he's like, you can't stay here. He's like, you gotta go. You gotta go home. And so he, Pierre drives John back to the train station and then comes back to his store. And guess a few hours later, who shows up at the store again? John. He didn't get on the train. He just walked back and he said, Pierre, God is calling me here. I'm not going to leave. And so Pierre, seeing there's no reason, there's no way to, to change this guy's mind, he says, fine, I have a, like a room up above the store. You can stay in there for a time. 
Well, by this point, word gets out of what Pierre has done, how this guy from Ontario is here, and apparently, obviously, the priest in the town was not very pleased with Pierre, and he basically said, Pierre, this is all you're doing. You're going to have to figure a way to get this guy to go, because if not, you're going to pay. And so Pierre, with a, like five or six of his guys, big guys, they, they decide, fine, we've got to get rid of him. And so they just grab John, they throw him in the car, and they drive off to the train station some 20 miles away. But before they get there, they stop in the middle of a bridge over a river. And they hoist, you know, John out of the car and over the railing, and they hold him by his feet over the edge of this river. And they say, John, you have to promise us you are never coming back here. If you can't promise us that, we're just going to have to let you go. We don't have much choice. Promise us. If that was you, (laughs) hanging upside down, what would your response be? We'll come back to that story in a bit. Today, I want to talk to you about perseverance in faith, or we might just say, you know, keeping going. How to keep going. You know, like, I'm not talking about that kind of my way or the highway attitude where it's, you know, steamrolling things. I'm talking about that, that virtue or attitude we have in us that when things get difficult, we still keep going. And I want to take us today to the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas. We are going through this series on Paul's journeys as he is going on missionary journeys throughout um, southern Turkey right now. And I want us to take us to Acts 14 today because I find this, this chapter very well exemplifies the power of persevering. Paul and Barnabas, they're going from town to town and they're sharing with people about Jesus and they're getting strong reactions on both sides. You know, there's a lot of people coming to the Lord, but then there's also some people that are very, very angry at what Paul and Barnabas are doing and they try to do everything they can to stop it. And we're going to pick up partway through uh, verse 1 of chapter 14 where it says this. They come to this first city called Iconium and it says, Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, and the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. The first point I want to draw out from this text today is this idea, keep going with boldness. Keep going with boldness. Did you hear what was going on there? Things were going good. People were responding to the gospel. But then some people, they spoiled things. They kind of got in the way. And it says, like, they poisoned the minds of the people. And they were getting very effective at it. Have you ever been in a, a situation where, you know, you were part of something and it was going great and then someone shows up and just spoils the whole thing? Right? I, I come from a family with three brothers. I'm the oldest, and there's two years apart all the way down. And I remember as a teenager, and when my, my brother next to me was a teen as well, sometimes we would, you know, bring a girlfriend over to the house. 
And when you have your girlfriend at the house, what do you not want to do? You don't really want to hang out with your family, right? You want to just like have some alone time, talk, whatever. And I had a little brother. I had a little brother. I should say have. He is still alive. I don't know how. (laughs) And I remember once my middle brother, you know, had his girlfriend there in the basement. And from the corner of my eye, I see my little brother sneaking down the stairs. And I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm just waiting to hear it. Because he's going to jump out at them when they can't, you know, when they're least expecting it. Hopefully they're not going to be too embarrassed at whatever's going on. And that's what he did. I remember once walking down our, our road, our country road. It's called Tizic Road. Our farm's on both sides. And I'm like a quarter mile away from the house, and I have this girlfriend with me. I can't remember. But from the corner of my eye, I look at one tree, and I see some movement. And guess what? My little brother, when he saw us going for a walk down the road, he thought that it'd be funny to like beeline it, get ahead of us, and hide behind trees, and jump out at it jump out at us when we were least expecting it. Sometimes, little brothers can spoil things. And on a more serious note, that's kind of what these guys, certain guys were doing here in Iconium with Paul and what God was doing. They were spoiling things. Sometimes when we face opposition in life, we sometimes take it as our cue to you know, our cue to move on, right? If we come into the situation and we cause conflict, we're like, fine, I'll just leave. But notice, when conflict was brought up, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't, they didn't go, but what's it say in verse three? It says, but the apostles stayed. They stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. You know there's that word boldness? See it there? I actually bolded it. How good of me. (laughs) Preaching boldly. You know, the thing about boldness is it kind of has a couple connotations, doesn't it? Um, Sometimes it just means, you know, being really in your face or even maybe rude even. Like I remember as a kid, if I ever talked to my mother in a, you know, a bad attitude like young kids sometimes do, she would say, don't you be bold with me, right? And sometimes that's the connotation we have with boldness. Um, Maybe even some of us have actually even heard someone kind of share the gospel from a place that felt like it was almost like it was coming from anger or loud. and, And I don't think that is not the boldness they're talking about here. We're talking about confidence, not cockiness, right? And Paul and Barnabas, they kept on, even with opposition, in boldness, not because they needed to be right, not because it was my way or the highway, but it was because of love and humility. They had a love for the people that they wanted them to experience what they had experienced. They couldn't help but talk about it. Does anyone here have an instant pot? (laughs) It was a few years ago when I was first introduced to the instant pot. I looked at the, I saw it in someone's kitchen. I said, what's that? And uh, they began to tell me all the things that an Instant Pot can do. You know, an Instant Pot is like a seven-in-one kitchen appliance. It's not just a slow cooker, it's a pressure cooker. So you can cook like frozen big blocks of meat in like half the time that it would take to thaw it and put it in the oven. And you can do all these things with it. And 
I was really taken by their little advertising spiel, and I said, I want one of those. And so when we got married, I made sure that on the registry, an Instant Pot was listed. And we got not just one Instant Pot, but we got two Instant Pots. We have the six quart, but you know there's those times you need the eight quart. And so we got them both. And I have, over the last few years, I have made a whole bunch of little things in it. You know, I've hard-boiled my eggs in it. I've cooked frozen meat, you know, right through. I've made yogurt. I've even cooked a cheesecake in it. And whenever people would talk about, somehow if we're talking about cooking and the Instant Pot would come up, I would start to talk about it and say, you should get an Instant Pot. And I'm not a salesman, personality-wise, at all. But you know, there's a couple products out there that I really believe in. And when you really believe in something, it doesn't take much to get on, you know, your little stool and just tell people that they should have one too. And that is Paul and Barnabas here. They experienced, they believed, they believed, they believed that Jesus had done something in their hearts, transformed them, made them new, that they couldn't help but tell people. And even when there's a little bit of opposition, even when people get angry, they're going to keep on sharing because they can't hold themselves back. They were bold in word, but they were also bold in deed. It says that God allowed them to perform all these miracles. And you know, I've always felt that when you see a miracle or a healing take place, something supernatural, nothing screams like, wow, God must be real. I don't know if you've ever experienced any kind of miracle or you've seen one. I remember my little brother, the same one that used to spy behind us, behind trees when we were walking down the road. When he grew up a bit, he used to play football in high school. And he's, he's bigger than I am. And so he would play football, and one day, some guy does a dirty move on him, and he trips, and he messes up his knee. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but, like, he tried to, you know, sit it out for a while and let it heal, but he went back a little while later trying to play football again, and he just knew something was wrong with his knee. And you were, we were beginning to think that maybe, you know, this is going to be one of those childhood sports injuries that you carry on for the rest of your life. And then, one day... My brother is at a f Christian family camp in the youth meeting, and they decide to, I don't know, they were talking about the Holy Spirit. I wasn't in that meeting exactly, but they were decided to gather around people and pray for them. And my little brother, they decided to gather around my little brother, and they prayed for him. And I was just asking him last week, I was saying, do you remember that story of what happened to you? And you know, when God does something in your heart, sometimes it's really hard to put into words. And all he said to me was like, he just knew he could feel the Holy Spirit when they prayed and his knee got healed and he could do things with it that he could never do before. And you know, some of us would be like, yes, thank you God. Now I'm not gonna do anything stupid and just make sure that it's good for the rest of my life. But of course my brother the next year, you know, signs up for football again and sure enough he plays the whole year out and he's fine. Miracles just do something like, Often we can be skeptical about them, but it's when, when it happens to you or when it happens to someone close to you that you know you trust them. They're not just going to lie to you. It confronts us with this question, is God actually real? Is what the things that are actually said in this book actually true? And this is what was happening in Paul and Barnabas' life. And people were coming to the Lord, but I noticed something. Not everybody responded. You know, there are 
It seems like there are certain people's hearts, you know, that they're so cold that Jesus could show up in front of them right now and they'd still walk away not believing. In fact, Jesus even had that issue when he was about to go up into heaven. He had his disciples around him and it says at the end of the book of Matthew, it says, and when they saw him, speaking of Jesus, it says they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Some of them doubted. Not everyone responds. My question is, what do we do when not everyone responds favorably? Say we share a little bit about our faith or we mention God and someone just kind of shuts us down or laughs at us. You know, you believe in God in the 21st century? What are you, a caveman, right? Something like that. Do we keep going and not stop sharing just because of some negative circumstances? We keep going. We don't stop. God used Paul and Barnabas when they stepped out. Imagine if you know, they experienced some opposition. Imagine if they had said, fine, um, people are getting upset, people are getting offended, we didn't want people to get offended, we're sorry, we'll just leave now. Imagine how many people wouldn't have come to know the Lord if they had quit early. There's a well-known evangelist years ago, his name's D.L. Moody, and uh, if you know Billy Graham, he was kind of the, D.L. Moody was kind of the Billy Graham of the 19th century. He had big meetings, A lot of people came to know the Lord during that time. And one day there's a story that says that a lady came to him and criticized him for his way of presenting the gospel. And to her surprise, he said, I agree. I sometimes don't like the way I do it either. And then he asked her, he said, so how do you do it? And she said, well, I don't. And then he said, well, in that case, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. And all that to say is sometimes something is better than nothing. Throughout all of our weeks in lives, there are times where we're in a conversation with someone. There are openings for where in a conversation very easily it wouldn't take much to bring in something spiritual I'm not saying, you know, beat them over with a Bible or take them through the four spiritual laws right then and there against their will. Not at all. But there are times when, you know, very easily we could slip in the word God and just to see what happens. Because not everyone's going to respond, but some people might just be looking for that opportunity to talk about something spiritual. So for instance, say somebody is talking to you and telling you about You know, they're going through some trouble, they're going through some hardship in life, and one of the responses we could say is, wow, that's really sad, or that's really tough. Um, hope, Hope things are better, and then just move on. Or you could take that same conversation, and you could easily do something like, you could say, well, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and when I experience, you know, hardships and things going like that in my life, I pray to God about it. Is it okay if, is it okay if I pray for you right now? And I'll tell you, even in the current state Canada is in, very few people will refuse prayer from from a person they can tell actually is doing it out of love. Back to Paul and Barnabas. So they keep going. They're going with boldness. And then they hear that someone's trying to assassinate them. And so they decide maybe it's time to move on because sometimes wisdom, you know, let's use wisdom, sometimes it's all right to move on, but it didn't stop their mission. 
but they kept doing it somewhere else. And this is what it says, verse 4. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And it says, Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. And when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding areas. And there they preached the good news. Now, like I said before, sometimes certain words have different meanings and connotations over the centuries. So when it says, you know, as it will say shortly, that, you know, Paul was, Paul was stoned, I want to just have a picture up here to say what I'm not meaning, if it comes up. I just want to clarify, this story has nothing to do with tall green plants and what you do with them. But rather, next picture, stoning, was that, that old... Uh, judicial form of execution that is still used in some countries where you literally, you get the accused, the guilty in the middle, and you pick up large rocks and you just throw them at them, um, basically trying to kill them through blunt force, like aim for the head and kill them. Not a pretty thing. And that's what they were trying to do with Paul, and so they decided maybe it's time to move on, which leads to my second point. Keep going when it's difficult. Keep going when it's difficult. When they get to the second town, the response is a little bit different. You know, they do the, the same thing they did in the first town. They preach the gospel and people start getting healed. And when, when the crowd sees a crippled that had been crippled from birth, when they see him stand up, they go crazy. They believe. They're like, wow, something supernatural has happened. Except the problem is they believe the wrong thing. They assume that Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods. They think that, you know, Paul's Hermes and Barnabas is Zeus. And so what, what do you do if Greek gods have come into your little town? You sacrifice to them. You worship them. You bow down to them. And so in this crazy moment of excitement, and no one's knowing what's really going on, they're proceeding to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, who they think are gods. And Paul and Barnabas are trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a bit of a language barrier. And... When they finally realize it, they say, no, no, don't do that. We're not gods. We're just, we're just people like you are. And then what happens next? Things take a rather drastic turn and kind of dark. I'll just read what it says. It says, then in that moment, some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium. Iconium, does that sound familiar? Town number one where they just came from? And they won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back to town. And the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. It seems, for some reason, that those people that were poisoning the mines in town number one, they felt it was their duty to follow Paul and Barnabas to the next town. And they did something that very few people can do. They were able to take a crowd and turn them 180 degrees, take them from thinking that Paul and Barnabas were gods to somehow convincing them that these two men were evil and should be killed immediately. And that's what they proceeded to do. So town number one, they, they leave because they don't want to be stoned, and town number two, they get stoned. <laughs> In the rock sense, not the other kind. <laughs> don't you think at this point, Paul could say, you know, I've tried. You know, no one's going to blame me if I just, you know, 
pull out now and just say, you know, maybe it's time to just go sit by the Mediterranean beach for a while and recover. Like, I've almost died here. I've almost given my life. I think, you know, now is, now is a good time as any to just head for home. He doesn't do that. It says somehow or other, this bloodied, like, bruised guy who, like, do we, does he have a concussion? Is, does he have internal bleeding? Is he, does he have broken bones? We don't know, but they thought he was dead. That says something. And yet he somehow limps on to the next town. And he keeps going. Sometimes God uses difficulty in our lives to somehow in some way grow us and to take us places maybe we wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise. Charles Spurgeon once said these words. He said, Most of the grand truths of God have to be learned by trouble. They must be burned into us with the hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we shall not truly receive them. I want to say this today. Don't, don't be afraid of difficulty. And this part especially, difficulty is not a sign to quit. Sometimes we think it is. At the first sign of hardship, well, we should just throw in the towel. We should just back off and move on. But difficulty is not a sign to quit. Sometimes it's a sign to, to press on forward, to dig your heels into the ground, to put it into high gear, and to keep going because breakthrough is just there around the corner. Opposition will come, friends. Opposition will come. And it will try to take us off the goal. It will try to keep us from going forward to persevere in our faith. But as Paul said in Philippians 13, let this be our prayer as well. He says, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, has called us. I press on. I keep going. I keep going with boldness. I keep going even through difficulty. I don't stop. I don't take my eyes off the goal. I do what God has called me to do. So finally, they get to the last town. Paul's all battered up. And thankfully, it doesn't record anything about lots of persecution there for their sake, thank goodness. And they stay there a while, and they finally decide, you know, it's time to go home. But rather than going home the easy way, they decide to do something I don't know if I would have the courage to do, and that is to go home by retracing their steps and going exactly back through. You know, I think, you know, there's maybe a couple of villages on the way. Can we just go around those? I have some traumatic images, you know, from that certain town. I don't want to relive them. But yet Paul goes back. He goes back the hard way. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read a story like this, I'm like, Paul and Barnabas are a little hard to relate to, right? They almost seem superhuman, right? Would I be so willing to say, God, yeah, if I knew what was ahead, would I be able to say, God, yes, use me, I'm yours, I'll take the beatings, I'll go to the death, whatever you say, God, I'll do it. You know, some of us, that's, would we say it? You know, some of us would think, you know, wow, the gospel cost Paul an awful lot, didn't it? And I got to thinking about that idea of cost. But isn't it true that things of value cost something, right? Now, I know a couple of you are going to say, well, you know, 
I was uh, yard sailing yesterday morning, and I found something that was really, you know, cost next to nothing, but it has great value. So sure, but generally speaking, high things of value have high costs, low things of value have low cost. Everything has a cost. You know, following Jesus has a cost, but so does sin. Sin has a cost. You know, decisions we make have a cost. If I didn't finish grade 12, that would have some cost in my life. If I decided to start working 70 or 80 hours a week and never see my family, eventually that would have a cost. Everything has a cost. Jesus has a cost. And Paul says here, in verse 19, he said, they encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Have you counted the cost today? There's a price to pay to follow Jesus. If you want an easy life, don't be a Christian. Jesus, what he tells us to do, it's simple in that it's straightforward, but it's not easy, is it? Following his, him isn't easy. They said there's gonna, we're going to have to experience suffering pressing forward if we want to follow Jesus, but if there's a high cost, then what? There must be a higher value. And God is so worth it. Jesus is so worth it. I bet Paul would say it more than all. The one, you know, if you saw him with all those bruises from being stoned, he would say, Jesus, Jesus is worth it. I don't know where you are with Jesus right now. Maybe, maybe you haven't made that decision yet. Is he worth it? Is his price worth it? And I can tell you all day long how worth it he is, but that's a decision that we each have to come to that conclusion for ourselves. There comes a point where we have to ask God and say, God, I recognize who I am. I'm in need of you. Would you come and transform my heart? Would you come and clean my conscience? Would you come and make me pure, make me new again? Sometimes we have to ask that question. He's so worth it. Sometimes the most meaningful things we do in life, they're also the hardest things, but they're the most meaningful. And so Paul and Barnabas, they get back, they finally get back home after this first missionary journey or this first epic road trip. They get home and they do what often all of us do when we get home and got to tell our friends. They tell them what's going on and how that trip went. It says, upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles too. And they stayed there with the believers for a long time. God can do a lot through people who persevere. I'm wondering today as we close, I'm just thinking about this story. What drove Paul and Barnabas to go through what they did? It was a love for lost people. And when I mean lost people, I'm not saying that in a condescending way, like, oh, they're lost and we've got it all together and we're superior. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying it out of love. They had a heart for lost people that caused them to go through what they went through. My question that I have to ask us, and I have to ask myself, I have to look in the mirror and ask myself, do I have that same kind of heart for lost people that Paul had? Do I have that heart? You know, we have opportunity. 
we have opportunity to, to, to share with people little things. We can drop, you know, the word God in and just see what happens. Some people are just waiting for that opportunity. Let's be honest, culture says right now that spiritual things are private and personal. But the question is, if it's personal, when do we ever get to talk about it with people? Like, when do people ever get to talk about it? And sometimes they're just looking for that place where someone mentions something spiritual and then they tell them, oh, that means it's okay to talk about this stuff. Paul and Barnabas were willing to go to great lengths and even if they experienced a bit of opposition, even a great amount of opposition, they just kept going. What does that say about our lives? Could we even, even half that much, with half that determination to just ask God and say, God, would you just bring opportunities into my life this week? Opportunities where I'm talking with someone and maybe there just becomes a clear door where it's like, hmm, I could, I could either shut this down or I could introduce something, maybe faith, and see, see if they're responsive to it. Sometimes they're not gonna be responsive. Sometimes people are not going to have a favorable experience if you mention God at all, but they might. But they might. Something is better than nothing. You know, we, we can't control people's responses. Thank goodness. What a weight that would be if we, had to, if we were in control and responsible for how people responded. But we do have control and responsibility on whether we, on whether we share at all. I began this message with a story about someone hanging over a bridge. Do you remember? <laughs> and they said, you know, John, you got a promise. You're never coming back here or else you're going over the bridge. And you know what John said, hanging upside down by his captors? He said, no, I, I will not promise. He says, I cannot go back because God has called me here. That's what he says. And when he said those words, one of the guys, one of Levi's great uncles, who was standing there helping hold this guy over the bridge, he finally kind of, couldn't take it anymore, and he said, guys, if this man believes so strongly, if he believes so strongly to be able to say that while he's, his life is on the line, he said, then I want what he has. And so they didn't throw John off the bridge, and they didn't send him to the train station. They actually drove back to their little town, and of course, this Pierre, this great uncle, he gets saved, and his family gets saved, and, of course, in that culture, like, basically they have just lost all social standing and status in that community. People stop going to his store, they stop paying the bills, and he loses the store. He can't financially make a go of it. He experiences hardship because of his decision. And yet it's said that Pierre in that time was one of the most happiest, the happiest person in that town. And because of that, his whole family comes to know the Lord, of which Levi, who was talking to my dad, was a great nephew. John Spearman, that English guy who came, he ends up staying in this little town as a pastor for like the next 20 years. All because, imagine, think of what has happened, the fruit that came of that, all because of one man who stood up and persevered, even in difficulty, with boldness, because he felt God was telling him to do something and he wouldn't stop at anything. He wouldn't turn away. Imagine today what God could do with us. Imagine what stories we could be coming and sharing with each other. 
if we are humble and willing to maybe step out of our comfort zone a little and see what God wants to do. Let's pray this morning. Father, God, we need you. God, we just, we just looked today and just saw like the, the perseverance, the never quitting, the keep going attitude that Paul and Barnabas had and sometimes, God, we just, we feel so unequipped. We feel sometimes so at a loss. Or we're, af- if we're honest with ourselves, we're afraid to even mention anything spiritual. Afraid that we're going to maybe, you know, unintentionally offend someone. But God, I don't know if that's what you're asking us to do today, to hold back. I pray that you would give us your boldness, Holy Spirit. That boldness of confidence that that you can still change people's hearts for good, that you can still transform, that your offer um, for salvation is still available today for all. Would you give us, would you give us that, that love for others that you have, that you had for us when we were lost? Would you give us your power and strength to still do your work and will in, even in our community, here in the valley, in this day and age, right now. God, we just, we worship you and we want, we want to be more like you today. Would you transform us and continue to take us forward step by step closer to you in the days and the week ahead. Amen.